0: right at home.
2: Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.
0: Congratulations, true crime addicts. We've survived another week. It is Friday, May 5th, 2023. And this week, another woman has come forward with allegations against Donald Trump. A TikTok crime fighter might be a fraud. And some sad news in the amy mihalovic case all this coming up stay tuned
1: yes super excited <laughs> we are all pumped to have james renner After
2: james renner on. That james renner has zeroed in on.
0: james renner's once again drops a bombshell, bombshell. investigative <laughs> journalist reporter james renner. james renner who's been james on the podcast a long time Hey, thanks for coming back to True Crime this week. I've been away for about six weeks. Um, I've missed you terribly. I hope you've missed me too. Uh, I took some time off. Uh, My intention was to write a new season of the Philosophy of Crime podcast. And I did a little bit of work there. Uh, The new season is coming at some point this year. But the majority of my time, to be honest, was... Uh, I got completely sucked into this new book I'm writing. It's another true crime book that's slated to come out in twenty twenty four sometime It's about the boy scouts uh I hope to do uh for summer camps uh what what uh I hope this book does for summer camps what Jaws did for beaches <laughs> that's that's the plan so um more on that soon, but let's get to the top stories this week. Uh, Right off the bat, if you haven't heard about this bizarre case, uh, a terrible tragedy unfolded this week in Oklahoma. Seven bodies were found in a wooded property in Henrietta, Oklahoma, according to The Independent. Investigators searching for two missing girls made the discovery on Monday after they went to the house where they'd had a sleepover the night before. As a, as a parent myself, I after hearing about the story, I'm not sure my kids are having sleepovers anymore. Um, so the police show up at this, this property. There they find the bodies of 39-year-old Jesse McFadden, his wife Holly Guess, her three children, 17-year-old Riley, 15-year-old Michael, and 13-year-old Tiffany. And they also found those two missing girls 14-year-old Ivy Webster, and 15-year-old Brittany Brewer. It didn't take them long to figure out that Jess, Jesse, Jess McFadden, killed them all before dying by suicide. Police knew McFadden well. He was on the state's sex registry, the sex offender registry. And, you know, not not to put any blame on anybody, but, you know, from now on, I, I'm, <laughs> as soon as my, as soon as my kid makes a new friend, of course, of course, I'm putting their parents in that search. I I got to know from now on. So McFadden, he was on the state sex offender registry after having been convicted of rape in 2003. Now McFadden got out of prison in 2020 and thereafter married Holly and she had already had three children previously. Um, it seems that the state of Oklahoma released a very dangerous man and had many opportunities to keep him away from the public while, you know, and and here's why. Because when he was still in prison, they caught him with uh, child porn on a personal cell phone. So many questions there. What's he doing with a personal cell phone? How does he have access to the internet unfiltered like that? I guess with any cell phone, you've got the, you know, you can do that, but... In in fact, he was about to stand trial for that case, and he, they had charged him with soliciting sexual conduct with a minor and possession of child porn, and he was due to appear in court the day the bodies were found. He was, he was going to go to court that day in answer to these charges. What he was doing was, while he was in prison, he was exchanging explicit photos, uh, and there was a uh, underage girl involved. The parents of the teen girls, remember those two girls that had the sleepover at his house and then went missing. Um, they said they didn't know of McFadden's criminal history, but it was it was all coming out pretty quickly. Um, he allegedly texted the victim of that court case. He was supposed to show up for Monday. He texted that victim, "Quote, this is all on you. What an asshole!" Right. Now, I, you know, as as a liberal, I'm all for rehabilitation, but maybe, maybe don't let a rapist out of prison if he's sexting underage girls from his cell. So <clears throat> he didn't even complete his full sentence, by the way. I think he got out like three years early or something. Crazy, terrible case there. Formal... Uh, Former President Donald Trump is currently being sued for battery and defamation in New York City and testimony this week alleges more sexual assault. Trump is currently being sued by E. Jean Carroll. She was a popular advice columnist, kind of like a Dear Abby type character. Now she claims Trump raped her in a dressing room at Bergdorf Goodman department store in in the 90s. Uh, He had her trying on lingerie and talked himself into the dressing room and everything went downhill from there. As part of this trial, her attorneys are trying to establish establish a pattern of bad behavior. Uh, very easy to do with 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 Trump in general, I think. Um, on Wednesday, they called journalist Natasha Stoynoff to testify. She told the jury that Trump sexually assaulted her when she visited Mar-a-Lago in 2005. She had been sent there to write an article about the first anniversary of his marriage with Melania, this according to the Daily Mail. She says, this is Stoyanov." she says Trump forced himself on her in another room. They were having this photo shoot, and he's like, hey, Melania is changing into her new outfit. Why don't you come with me? I'll give you a tour. And then he assaulted her in the next room while Melania was changing outfits, while Melania was pregnant. Um, and then he offered to take her for a steak dinner. What a gentleman, right? Uh, that's such a weird power move. Like, I understand what I just did, but hey, stick around. I'll give you a steak dinner. Stoyanov was there, like I said, as part of this photo shoot. She, she, She didn't say anything at the time. She wanted the photo shoot to continue. She didn't want to get in trouble with her bosses or have them think differently about what might've happened, what did happen. Um, anyways, she ends up at the pool at, at Mar-a-Lago later that day. She says that Trump was there and said that they were going to have an affair, that this affair was going to happen. He was interested in having an affair with her and it would be quote, the best sex she ever had. Doubtful, doubtful there. I'm calling shenanigans. Um, on him. I don't think that's the best, Yeah, it it's, I can't, I don't want to picture that. The civil case case is wrapping up, by the way, it probably some sort of verdict next week. And uh, by the way, let's not forget Trump was indicted on criminal financial fraud charges in New York City in March, the first president in American history to have such an honor. I wonder if that'll be on his coin. Uh, if you... Final top story this week. If you have TikTok and you're into true crime, you probably saw this nut uh, Ken Walks, in, in, in his videos the last couple weeks. Um, if you're not into TikTok, uh, you're doing the right thing. Avoid it at all costs. But it's it's addicting. I'm on it. I like to watch it. I like the you know uh, the the feed with you know I get a lot of stand-up comedy stuff on there. It makes me happy. But then you're scrolling, scrolling, scrolling. And you're always seeing this. St- Anyways. I end up on Ken Walk's stuff, and he blew up because here's what he was doing. He claimed he found evidence of serial killers in Chicago, in Austin, several other cities, a city in Wisconsin, and he had constructed elaborate uh, pictographs showing the distribution of young men who ended up dead in, in waterways, you know, rivers and lakes. This is reminding you maybe of the smiley face killer conspiracy. Yes, this is kind of that thing, um, only in a much grander scale. And like the smiley face killer, these serial killers probably don't exist. Um, My spidey senses were tingling right away with this guy. He, you know, he just comes across as as manic and obsessive. I know pot, kettle, kettle pot, but, uh, you know, this there's you know, again, it's always the eyes, something about the eyes, something about this guy was, was off to me. Um, but I didn't say anything about it. I'm not going to go on TikTok and do my own video taking this guy down. He obviously has a lot of, he had a lot of followers. I think he had like a million followers in, in the last few weeks. But what I've come to learn is that uh, you can't, you just can't convince stupid people that they're being scammed. You, you can't do it. You're not going to talk anybody out of it. So he started to get a little weirder and he would post a video saying that the FBI was trying to recruit him, that a private investigator had shown up at his door and that he was working with the police. And every time he would put, po- it would just amp it up a little bit more. Um, finally, he said he cracked the case. And uh, during that post somewhere, He linked to an app, and it was an app that, you know, he helped create. He worked for this company that created this app. So suddenly, a lot of people were looking at this and thinking, wait a second, this is starting to seem like, you know, some sort of viral marketing campaign, and maybe it's really all about this app all along. So tremendous, immediate backlash And um, I mean, it's, I don't know that I've seen somebody's credibility uh, plummet that fast. So of course he goes on and dresses up in a nice suit and and does this apology video where he's apologizing to the the families of the victims of these very real people that have died, uh, probably accidentally ending up in these waterways. And he's suddenly created this big thing. Um, and it's weird. The, the apology video itself is weird because it looks like maybe he's using a filter. I don't know if you want to do that for the, that sort of thing. Also, what's up with these apology videos? Nobody cares. Nobody cares. Literally nobody. I've polled everybody. They say they don't care. Um, so I don't, it's such a trend. Everybody's doing an apology video. It's almost like that's what they need to reach in order to get the status they think they want or, or, or striving for. They're not big in, unless they go through some sort of public crisis and have to give a, an apology video. But that's me and my stump. Um, if you're interested, check that out. Ken Walk's stuff, just type it into TikTok and go to town. That's a rabbit hole. You'll be there all day. So yeah. Um, like I said, there's there's been some sad news in the Amy Mihalovic case. I want to get to uh, a new suspect there as well. Um, lots of updates after the break. I'll be back in two and two. Please hang up and try again.
1: Hi, I'm Alexa Dow with The Porchlight Project, a new nonprofit dedicated to funding DNA testing and genetic genealogy for cold cases in the state of Ohio. For our first case, we assisted the Cuyahoga Falls Police Department, funding new DNA tests on evidence from the 1987 unsolved murder of 17-year-old Barbara Blatnick. That information was given to expert genealogists who traced the genetic markers to a man named James Zastonic, who was arrested in May of 2020 and charged with Barb's murder. Our goal at the Porchlight Project is to entirely fund three to four cold case investigations every year. Each new case costs about $6,000 to complete, which is a small price to pay for closure. The Porchlight Project relies on generous donations from the public. Even $5 can help us solve a murder. For more information on how to help, please visit porchlightonline.org.
0: And welcome back to Boy Meets World, starring Ben Savage. Uh, all right, here we go. Let's get into it. Uh, the Amy Mahalovic case. Here's what happened. Uh, my good friend, Christy Sabo, Christy Gibbons, as, as her married name, uh, I'll always know her as Christy Sabo. She died unexpectedly this week. Um, Christy was best friends with Amy Mahalovic back in 1989. Uh, I've gotten to—she was a great source over the years. Uh, she was in my book that I wrote on the Amy Mahalovic case. That's how I got to know her, interviewing her for that book back in 2005. Um, and we became, we became good friends. Uh, I, we would get together a couple times a year, have coffee, catch up on the case. Um, she was one of the nicest people I've met uh, in years of reporting on true crime. Um, she, we have a family dog who's very important to us, uh, Brownie and Brownie was, um, part of the litter of her dogs, um, you know, years ago, I think about four or five years ago. And she gave us one of the, one of the puppies. So, um, I knew her very well. Um, and, uh, she called me last week to tell me that she was naming a suspect in, uh, Amy's murder, that. It was very important to her that she named this person at the time. Um, and he's a person that hasn't been named publicly yet. Uh, and she wanted to know what I thought about that. And I said she should follow her heart and do what she thought was best. So she appears on this podcast. Uh, the, the Drunk Turkey Show is the name of the podcast. Um, she goes on to name this the suspect uh, and uh, the link to the Drunk Turkey Show, you can find it searching any podcast. They're actually pretty big. They're decent guys. Um, uh, you can find it in at, uh, on, on the podcast page, on the liner notes, as I call them. Um, so, you know, you probably know about the Amy Mahalovic case, but if you haven't, um, Amy was a 10-year-old girl who was abducted from Bay Village, Ohio, which is a well-to-do suburb. On the west side of Cleveland in 1989, her body was found, um, she was abducted in uh, October 89, her body was found in February 1990 on the side of a road, County Road 1181 in Ashland County, which is about an hour's drive from Bay Village. Um, So that's the mystery, and it's still unsolved to this day. Now, Channel 5 reporter, that's Channel 5 out of Cleveland, a reporter named Scott Knoll broke this... Story about this new suspect. He broke the story in February 2021. Um, and uh, through court, he found some court documents that shouldn't have been made public but were. And what he found in these court documents was that a woman had come forward to tell the police that they should look into her ex boyfriend, uh, who was their boyfriend at the time of the abduction in 1989. At the time of the disappearance, they lived, this couple lived together less than a mile from the shopping center where Amy was last seen. Uh, he had a niece in the same grade as Amy, same school, and uh, his girlfriend says he did not come home the night of the abduction. In fact, he called her around 10 p.m. that night and asked if she was aware of the news coverage around Amy Mihaljevic. Um There were two witnesses to Amy's abduction, both classmates of hers, and according to these court records, The two witnesses picked his photo out of a photo lineup. At the time, he was also driving a gold Oldsmobile. That's important because they found gold or tan fibers on Amy's body consistent with that sort of vehicle. Um, Here's the kicker. The FBI wrote license plate numbers down. Um, When they found her body in Ashland County, they wrote down the license plates of every car that would pass by that site, the crime scene. And uh, when she came forward to say, hey, look into my ex-boyfriend, they they went back into those records and found that, in fact, yes, he his car, anyways, drove past the crime scene the day that the body was discovered. Uh, he did talk to the detectives over two days, um, admitted to them that he might have met Amy's mother in a bar. He took a polygraph test and uh, there was deception indicated in that test, according, you know, according to the polygraph people. Uh, he also went to school in Vermilion, but uh, had adopted parents in Bay Village, and there was a home not far from um, the shopping center. Uh, I, now, even though his name was not released in that report, I was able to track him down, of course, uh, and I, I I have spoken to him. I was able to get his cell phone number. I called him, and he called me back. and he He said this was against the advice of his lawyer that he was talking to me at all, but we had about a twenty minute chat. and The dude's weird, you know. He's he's currently homeless, living out of his vehicle in Walmart parking lots around the Cleveland area. Um, you know, we we uh, we we talked for some time. Um, and, you know, he said weird things like he could, he was monitoring my breathing and he said he could tell when I was lying uh, that, yeah, that's not creepy at all. Um, but, uh, you know, I don't know how I feel about him. There, there are many suspects in this case. There are a lot of good reasons they're looking at this guy. Uh, he remains uncharged. But uh, Christy did go on that podcast. And if you're interested in more... Um, Check it out, Uh, and just a a tragedy. Uh, um, Christy, by the way, uh, we still don't know what happened. Um, You know, she was 43 years old, and the details haven't really come out, although the family is saying it is not suicide. This could be, you know, health-related, and so please don't spread those rumors online. Um, She did, uh, she had three kids, man, Um, and she had already lost her father and her brother to suicide, so I don't know that she would have done that. Um, So, uh, anyways, um, hopefully uh, we'll get some answer in that case. Moving on, Um, there's a weird new detail that came out this week in the Anna Walsh case, Are you following the Anna Walsh case? This is this, you know, I guess all the cases that I bring to you are weird by definition because I find them interesting. Anna Walsh disappeared from her home in Cohasset, Massachusetts on New Year's Day. Police have already arrested her husband, Brian Walsh, and charged him with first degree murder, even though her body has not been found yet. And that's very rare to get an arrest in a no body homicide especially that quickly. Um oh, check out this guy by the way. He looks like uh like the like Alec Baldwin's youngest, fattest brother. Um, doesn't he? He looks kinda yeah. Um so they the reason they they're so sure that he did it is is they checked his internet history and found Google searches for how to dismember and dispose of a body. Uh he told police by the way that she had flown to D C for uh a work emergency, although there are no records of her getting on a flight or anything about a work emergency there. Uh, police alleged that he beat her to death after discovering that she'd been having an affair and then chopped her up in the basement. Um, he was already facing some criminal charges at the time of her death, guys wrapped up in some sort of uh, counterfeiting of Andy Warhol prints. Uh, earlier this week, it was revealed that police detectives received a weird ransom letter on January 7th, about a week after Anna's disappearance, this according to the New York Post. Here's what the ransom note said, quote, we have the so named Anna Walsh with us here. We had a deal worth $127,000. She messed up. We have her here with us. And if she doesn't pay the money, then she'll never be back. But police are like, what's the point of that ransom note? It doesn't give us any instructions on how to deliver the money. It says she owes the money. So, like, what's the point of even sending that in? They don't think it's real. They think the husband was doing that or, you know, as a way of of getting them off the case. So uh, that is developing. Alex Murdoch. I thought we were done with this guy. Alex Murdoch is back in the news this week, or as I like to call him creepy face McGee. Uh, Murdoch was convicted of killing his wife and son in March this week. He admitted through his lawyers that he lied when asked about the death of his housekeeper, Gloria Satterfield. Remember this Alec Murdoch guy? There's like, there's so many deaths and weird tragedies surrounding him. And now it's all kind of coming apart. Anyways, he admits that he lied when talking about this Gloria Satterfield who died on his property in 2018. She was their housekeeper. Satterfield was critically injured on his property. At the time, Murdoch said that the family dogs tripped her and caused her to fall down the steps leading to her injuries. She died from her injuries a few weeks later. After her death, Murdoch collected insurance money he had taken out an insurance policy on her, I, I guess, or, or through some, some other homeowners insurance or something. He was able to there was an insurance policy he collected on it. That money was meant for her children. He stole the money, stole the money. Um, and if you think, how could this guy be more evil? Murdoch's lawyers filed a motion this week saying Satterfield's children should also be named in the ongoing lawsuit by the insurer, you know, so they have to pay back the money that they never got, the money that he stole. You know, I look, I'm known for her hyperbole. OK, I admit it. I like hyperbole. Um, but uh, this Murdoch, this Murdoch fellow, he, he sounds like a real jerk. I don't think that's hyperbole. I think he's a real jerk. Uh, <laughs> hey, um, I've been gone for so long that I missed a Porchlight Project story that I wanna tell you about. Porchlight Project helped to solve another cold case, or another Jane Doe, anyways. Uh, Porchlight Project is, is the nonprofit that uh, I've, I've formed in Ohio. We've got a great board, um, and what we do is we raise money for new DNA testing and genetic genealogy for Ohio cold cases. Find out more on porchlightonline.org. We survived by public donations. So we had this really interesting case and it starts on March 30th, 1980, when a young woman's body washes up on the shore of Lake Erie by Cedar Point, that big amusement park up on Lake Erie. And they found that this young woman, she was wearing a nice cocktail dress and it was reported in all the papers, but nobody claimed her. Nobody, and they couldn't find a missing woman that matched that description. So, like, where did she come from? And all these years, she's remained unidentified. I heard about this. Um, we reached out to Sandusky police. And uh, they said, yeah, we'd, we'd love some, some help with this. So we, we funded the um, investigation. We funded the DNA testing, which was done by Bodhi Technology. And Bodie also did the genealogy for this one. And on March 30th this year, so if you're keeping track, that's 43 years to the day uh, that they found her body. On March 30th of this year, the police announced her identification. And we learned that this young woman was one Patricia Greenwood, who would have been 32 years old at the time of her death. They are considering this a homicide. My biggest question was, why didn't anybody ever claim her? Why wasn't she reported missing? Uh, And then we got the answer once we figured out uh, her genealogy, because she was one of 12 children that was given up for adoption, put into the foster care system in Michigan in the 60s and 70s. And uh, they tracked on some of her siblings. They said, yeah, we hadn't heard from her since 1980, but we didn't know what happened. We didn't know if she was dead. So nobody really reported her missing. Now, what we need here, it's kind of a long shot, but uh, in order to find out who might have wanted her dead, who she was hanging around with at the time, we need to find somebody who knew Patricia Greenwood way back in 1980. So if you're listening to this in Michigan um, or thereabouts or knew people from Michigan back then, uh, she was known to have lived in Saginaw, Traverse City, and Bay City. So... If you know somebody there, if you're from there and you knew Patricia Greenwood, please reach out to the Sandusky Police Department. Shoot me an email too. Um, Hey, uh, I've got a heck of a recommendation for a book this week. That's right, a heck of a recommendation. Uh, (laughs) Portrait Project board member, true crime podcast host, all-around nice guy, Nick Edwards, has a book out. Uh, It is called The Delphi Murders search for the man on the bridge. And here's the write-up. I don't have my copy yet. I'm waiting for it in the mail. It's that new. This book just came out. So go online, buy this book, especially if you're interested in the Delphi murders. It, It does a good job giving you all the details of the case. On February 13, 2017, two Indiana teenagers, Abby Williams and Libby German, went for a walk in the woods near the abandoned Monon High Bridge. They never returned home Their bodies were discovered on Valentine's Day morning, sparking a torrent of news coverage and social media speculation that engrossed the attention of people around the world. A grainy photo of the suspected killer walking across the bridge and a chilling cell phone recording of his voice saying, down the hill, captured the public's attention. Numerous possible suspects were brought to the attention of authorities, but dismissed, leaving everyone wondering who could have committed such a heinous crime uh Then in late October 2022, my throat's getting dry there.. Mm. Uh, then in late October 2022, local pharmacy technician Richard Allen was charged with the murders. His arrest raised multiple questions about how he was able to evade law enforcement for so long and what motivated him to commit such a horrific crime. In The Delphi Murders, The Quest to Find the Man on the Bridge, Edwards and his best-selling co-author Brian Whitney provide a detailed account of the investigation from the day the the girl's bodies were found to the events leading up to Alan's arrest and unique insight into the minds of the killer and those who worked tirelessly to bring him to justice. Well done, Nick. Congratulations. Everybody, buy the book. Check it out. And that's the... uh, that's the news. That's it. I'm, I'm, I'm very happy to be back. Thanks for, thanks for joining me. Thanks for being here again. Uh, I'll be back next week. Same time, same bat channel. And it's the weekend, folks, which means we got to, 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 get down, damn it. True Crime This Week is a Fearful Symmetry production. Photo and artwork are licensed through Shutterstock. If you like the cut of my jib, I have another podcast you might enjoy called The Philosophy of Crime, in which I attempt to solve the big questions behind our true crime obsession by looking to philosophy for answers. Thank you for listening. I'll see you next week. Sit, Brownie, sit. Good dog. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable.